0: I'm excited today about the uh, the topic. For some reason, God's really put it in my heart, and every once in a while, I just sort of get a passion about something. And uh, this is one of those topics that I'm passionate about. Um, kind of segueing or moving on from what the very capable Mr. Ben shared last week, as far as resolving to transform our hearts for the purpose of loving God and loving others. It wasn't just for the purpose of our own benefit but for the purpose of communal hearts and the individual hearts, sharing it with others. What I want to do this week is kind of get into the practical steps of that. What does that look like? And namely, I want to talk about abiding, which is an interesting word that we don't use a lot, so I'll unpack that. This week, we're going to talk about abiding in the Word, abiding in the Bible. And next week, we're going to talk about abiding in Christ. So let's pray together before we start. Father God, thank you for showing your love to us. Um, through the cross, through the life that we have in you, thank you for giving us uh, an object of worship. God, thanks for being the focal point of our hearts, our lives this morning, and I just pray that you'd allow us to hear you speak this morning, that my words would be absent and your words would be present. God, thank you for the sovereignty of your will and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So abide is not a word we use much today, It's kind of a funky word, but it really means, to break it down, means to remain as one or to continue to be present. It also means I'm going to abide by your decision, which is not the definition that I'm referring to today, but to continue to be present, to remain as one. So when you think of abiding in the Word or abiding in the Bible, continuing to be present in the Bible, or to be one with the Bible, meaning you're pretty familiar with it, meaning you're in it a lot. So 2 John 1.9 says this, Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue, there's the Greek word for abide, does not continue in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So the best way to continue in the teaching of Christ is to continually read the words of Christ and the words of God the Father. And not just for head knowledge, uh, but for heart change, which leads to lifestyle change. Eugene Peterson wrote this great book called The Message, which is basically his translation of the Bible. But it's a good book, and there's some good interesting paraphrases. And I want to read one from the verse I just read, 2 John 1.9. Eugene says this, anyone who gets so progressive in his thinking that he walks out on the teaching of Christ, walks out on God. But whoever stays with the teaching stays faithful to both the Father and the Son. In my work as a life coach, counselor, all that good stuff that I do, I get involved with a lot of people on a very intimate basis. And so I get involved with their lives on a very personal basis. And this week, ironically enough, There was two individuals who spoke to me. They're both God-fearing people um, that had questions about some morality issues. And these morality issues were not difficult or, um, you know, splitting hairs. They're fairly clear in the Bible. But they had gotten all their information from social media. And they had gotten a plethora of information from social media which was leading them down a path that was very inconsistent with the path that God pretty much lays out in the Word. So they'd gotten so progressive in their thinking that they'd walked out on the teaching of Christ. And they got more answers from social media than they did from the Bible. And I wonder if some of us maybe abide more in social media than we abide in the Word. Because it certainly is trendy, it's it's attractive, it's, it's vogue, and it's easy reading. But are we abiding more, and do we have a desire to abide more in social media than we do in the Word? And that's kind of a personal question, because it's a personal decision. My hope this morning is to tempt you to have a greater desire, no matter where you are in your faith journey, If Christ is a foreign word for you, or if Christ has been your Savior for decades, I want to tempt you in your journey to move ahead one step by having a greater desire to abide in the Bible, to abide in the Word, and show that with your actions. Now, there's a lot of reasons that that word abide and abiding in the Bible is not really a trendy or popular concept. And there's, there's a lot of distractions is one reason. There's, there's a lot of distractions for our time, uh, a lot of distractions for information. There's so much information at our fingertips that abiding in the Word just sort of gets edged out. I'm mindful of that as, as I read occasionally um, the Bible app on my phone. Admittedly, I'm, I'm the shiny, shiny, shiny object squirrel guy, the ADHD guy. gets distracted. But if I get a text while I'm reading the Bible you know where I'm going. I'm going to the text because I just got distracted. And so it's tough to abide, for me, just for me, it's tough to really abide in the word when I'm just on my phone catching on the fly because I get so easily distracted. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying, for me, that's difficult to abide because I get easily distracted. But the other kind of, um, another element that gets in the way is, is we're just so busy. And some of that is fashionable. It's almost fashionable to say, I'm so busy, but some of it, we really are, but usually it's not the truth. Usually we all have 24 hours, 168 hours a week, and we decide who we're going to use them and blah, blah, blah. But we're so busy that we just don't have time to abide in the Word. And then, quite frankly, at some point we just don't see the desire to because, you know, I know where I am. And I always invite folks to read the Bible, and I, and I ask them about that, and I get a lot of interesting answers. And the expression that makes me smile the most is, I've already read that. (laughs) Which I find interesting. My father, who was a great man, who was a pastor for most of his life, he felt a lifetime was too short to really understand the Bible. And I think that I really, where'd that come from? I really uh, have tried to live that myself, that I'm constantly in there because a lifetime is too short to really understand what the Bible has to say. And another response that I hear when I invite people to spend more time in the Word is I, don't, I ask them you know, how much have you read the Bible how much did you get in the Bible and they say well I don't read it as much as I should which is a pretty classic response which means there's sort of this, this obligatory duty filled maybe guilt ridden I should do it more I should do it more which in some cases almost seems uh, sort of attractive, but in reality, it's just sort of a, a guise re- or a cover for I'm really not going to do it. And, and if it's duty, if you're doing it for duty's sake, you're really missing the intoxicating beauty and the, and the depth of abiding in the word, if it's simply a matter of duty. So I'm going to ask us a question in sort of an old English sort of a way. When we come to water, why do we come to it if not to have our thirst quenched? We come to water with this expectation that this drink will satisfy me, it'll meet my needs, it'll nourish me, it'll, it'll make me better able to play the game of life. I don't know if you watched the Battle of the O's a couple weeks ago, Ohio State and Oregon, but there was a halftime exit interview, which I, I'm pretty sure I caught it, but I'm going to go with it like it's a fact, that one of the coaches, and I think it was Oregon, said, I have to go in the locker room and I have to hydrate my men so they'll be ready for the second half. It seemed like a bizarre thing to say, but I know I heard it, or I'm believing that I heard it, <laughs> and all I need is an amen for somebody else who heard it too, but it was to go in the, the locker room to hydrate, because he, he saw the need to sort of fill these men up for the purpose of coming back in the second half and playing well. Apparently, he didn't hydrate them enough, but anyhow, so <laughs> there, was, there was a great need for Hydration. Now, I myself am super sensitive to hydration for whatever reason. I have some amazing stories, some funny funny and some not so funny, where I get dehydrated and then bad things happen to me. Literally, I forget to hydrate. And so those who love me frequently challenge me to hydrate. But I'm not hydrating out of duty. I'm hydrating out of a need, a desire to get to play the game of life better. So obviously, I'm drawing a parallel here between drinking water for our physical bodies and drinking spiritual water, abiding in the Bible for our spiritual lives. See, what is the point of reading God's word in the Bible and abiding in those words if we don't expect to have our life impacted some way, somehow make us better? So it's not duty, it's not obligation, but it's a desire to drink from the word to play the game of life better. I've got this devotional, which interestingly enough is entitled Abide. And I want to read a little quote from that if I can. If we come to the waters of God's Word, with a willing spirit asking to be nourished, surely we can expect some kind of transformation. This change may be ever so small. It may be a new insight into why we give so much of our time to things that do not nourish us. It may be a passionate desire to deepen our relationship with God by spending more time ministering to others, which is what you've kind of heard us talk about life on mission a lot around here. The more we offer hospitality to the Word of God and welcome it into our heart space, the deeper our romance with God will be. We will experience healthy changes taking place in our lives. I love that. I just sort of sat with that when I read that. There's this ongoing romance with God. When we talk to Him through prayer, and He talks to us through His words in the Bible. So I would ask this, are we offering hospitality to the words of God and welcoming them into our heart space? Which I just love the way that's put. And think of that word hospitality. When we offer hospitality, we let someone join us in the intimate setting of our home. They join us, we join them. It's a oneness. So for that moment, we become one, abiding, if you will, remaining as one, which is what that word means. So as we become one with the Bible, are we just checking off the box that says devotional time? I've done my devotional time, good to go. I've spent my X minutes, two minutes, five minutes, whatever minutes you got, because you know we're really busy. Or is it more than that? I shared last week from my communion message that e- eating the bread, drinking the cup, should be more than just an action. It should lead us somewhere. Invented a fabulous job this morning of sort of imagining, if we will, leading us to the table and sitting there with Jesus. And then leading us to the cross. And leading us to the basis of our salvation, which Greg did through worship this morning. So it all leads us somewhere. So if I'm abiding in the word, it's leading me to a life change, and a life that needs to be continually changed. Not just I read the book once. And if you're anything like me, where James says, I forget what I read. I'm like a man looking in a mirror and I walk away and it's like, what did I just see? What did I just read? I forget. And so I do it again again. And again, because I need God in my life. So one of the big ideas I want to share this morning is that abiding in the word leads to transformation. Transformation. Transform is to go from one shape across to another. The root word trans means to go across. Transatlantic, to go across The Atlantic. Translate. To go from one language to another language. I guess a modern terminology would be transformers, which I always thought were pretty cool. Didn't happen when I was young. But they're going from one to another. So to be transformed in this context means a combination of the choices I make, the thoughts I entertain, the things I do, and the grace of God. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But imagine, imagine coming to a table of food, a banquet table, if you will. And imagine that you had no expectations for being there. I'm going to leave the same person as I came. No, you're not going to say that. I'm going to leave having experienced a culinary delight, a nourishing activity, and to be emotionally satisfied since I have met one of the basic needs of my body. My wife and I went out to a fabulous dinner last night at the Common Girl up in Chelsea, Michigan. If you haven't been there, there's a bit of a plug for that. Craig Commons got a great restaurant up there. I had this fabulous meal. It met so many needs that I have. And I was a different man when I left. It was a wonderful time. But that's what it should be, right? We should be eating at some point to have it transform us, to have it move, move us along this journey. And we do it again and again. And it transforms us from being hungry to being full. It takes us from being hungry to being satisfied. So if we don't eat wisely, it takes us us to being unhealthy and uncomfortable. So when I say that abiding in the word transforms us, I'm referring to a positive transformation. I did a psychological evaluation some time ago for a patient who was doing bariatric surgery. And she had consumed food without allowing it to have its proper nourishing effect. And said she'd actually stored it up. And it transformed her into being nearly lifeless, in excess of 500 pounds. And she had made choices. She took what God meant for health, and she used it for self-destruction. So that was a negative transformation. And then in the Old Testament, we know the story of, of the, the Israelites. They, they had all the gold that God had given them, this mineral and metal that God, and they transformed it into an object of idol worship. And a little line in Ezekiel says, they transformed the beauty of his ornaments into pride. And they made the images of their abominations and their detestable things with it. So they took what was good and they used it against themselves, transformed in a negative way, against their relationship with God. See, God is inviting us to be transformed. And sort of the, the, the fancy theological word is sanctification, continually Transformed to be brought into a new space. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through a couple of verses in Romans. And as we all know, the New Testament was originally written in Greek and then translated into English. And so I'm going to take us back to some of the Greek words. And I'll share the definitions with you. Not the words, because they would be Greek to you. That was a joke. But I'll share some of the definitions. And then so we can kind of understand the wider context of the meaning of these two verses in Romans verses that should be well familiar to you if you have been abiding in the word over the years. So Romans 12:1 Therefore I urge you brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. So I urge you to by the mercies by the longing by the heart of compassion of God to present which means, in the Greek, to place one at one's disposal. I'm I'm presenting myself, giving myself to you as a living, active, powerful, efficacious versus the dead sacrifices. No, this is a living sacrifice. Acceptable, Greek word, well-pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. They were used to the Levitical command to worship but he's saying going one step further than that in Romans 12 too, he said, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So don't be conformed. The word conformed in the Greek means to fashion oneself according to. Everyone in this room except for me right now is conformed to What? You've conformed yourself to the chair. You came in like me, and now you've conformed yourself. But it's okay; there's nothing wrong with that. But that's what ca- that's what conforming looks like. You've changed yourself and you've adapted. You've totally abided by the shape of the 90 degree chair. You've conformed to it, and he's saying, "Don't be conformed to this world, to this period of time, to this age." Social media. But be transformed, trans, to go across from one form to another by the renewing, the complete change for the better. Renewing, complete change for the better in the Greek. Of your mind. Your mind, the power of considering and judging soberly, calmly, and partially. You're thinking this one through. You're not just catching it on the fly. You're really transforming your mind. So that you may prove. Prove means to recognize as genuine after examination. Prove. Authenticate what the will of God is. And I love this this original text, what God wishes to be done by us. What God wishes, I could get all geeked up about that one, what God wishes to be done by, he needs us to be his hands, his feet, his mouthpiece and that kind of thing. What is God's will for us? What does God wish to be done by us? That which is good and acceptable and perfect, that word perfect, wanting nothing necessary to be completed. So I've took the liberty in the ways of Eugene Peterson, and written my own Bible, but I just have one verse. So here's the translation, Romans twelve two. My translation. Don't fashion yourself according to the traditions of the current thinking, but change into another form by completely changing your mind for the better. Consider the power of evaluating God's word calmly and impartially, not impulsively, so that you may truly prove what God wants you to do, those actions which are good, acceptable to God, and will complete you. Now you and I will be completed when they close the lid. But until such time, we're all in process. And maybe I'm in greater process than you. I don't know. I might be needier than you, but I have a need to be in the word for the purpose of transformation. So it's fun sometimes to take a verse like that, and there's so many tools available on on the the web, the worldwide web, that you can grab the Greek really easily and figure out what does this verse really mean, and then just like put it in your own words and make it yours. That's abiding in the word, where you've really taken it. You've, you've, transformed your thinking rather than being conformed to sort of the social media, the popular concept of it, what does this verse mean to me? Then write it out. It's not sacrilege. You're just reading the Bible and kind of putting it in your own words. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord The Spirit. So looking into the glory of God transforms us. It can't help but affect our thinking if we abide in that space. Whether we let our hearts and minds conform to the words of God. That's That's our choice. It's a combination of our actions and the grace of God. So the big idea, and the first one is abiding in the word leads to transformation. The second big idea is abiding in the word leads to the grace of God. Now, Rob Warren, several months or so ago, shared with us kind of the different forms of grace in the Bible. There's the common grace, the grace that we all get. Debbie and I went to the theater on Saturday, and I called up, and they had a, the last two seats available were just primo seats. That wasn't because I was living life well. It's, it's the grace of God. I mean, anybody could have had that. Anybody who called the exact same time that I had, could have had those seats. So there's stuff in life that just sort of happens. The parking space that miraculously opens up, it's not because you're being a good person. It just opened up. You know, the tree that fell in somebody else's car, not your car, it just happens. So life happens. And so there's sort of this common grace that we all get, regardless of our relationship with Christ. Then there's a saving grace that we understand that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I can't earn it. Jesus did it. It's salvation. It's the grace of God that allows my fi- sins to be paid for. But then there's this third thing that I want to talk about. And that's the empowering grace or the transformative grace. It's the, it's the, it's the work of God that we don't understand except for we experience it. We know that we're in that space where God is taking our efforts and multiplying them. Now, we see some examples um, in the Bible. David um, defeating Goliath. Uh, Clearly, David was this little short fellow, and Goliath was this pretty big fellow. But his actions nailed the big fellow. Was it all because of his actions? I'm going to say no. I think the grace of God, the empowering grace of God, was there to help David do more than what maybe I could do. Because God had called David to do that and asked him to do that. That was the work that God had wanted David to do. And the children of Israel, when they went to the the wilderness and they were where God wanted them to be, their clothes didn't wear out. Their sandals didn't wear out. Grace of God. God allowed their stuff to keep up. Because there weren't any targets along the way. And then Samson and his strength to defeat the army. Was Samson really a strong guy? He was. He was a strong guy. But was he that strong? Okay, God made him that strong, so he still had to do some things, but God's grace went with Samson and allowed him to do greater things. Luke 6 says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug a deep who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred and the torrent burst against that house, could not shake it because it had been well built. We know that story. And then the one who built it on sand, it didn't didn't do so well. So that's that sense of everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them who abides in my word. Right? The house you build will be able to stand up to the waves that crash against it. It's not just because the house is built well. It's because my grace is with you when you abide in my words and then you find the grace of God to have the house beat up that much. God's empowering grace will support our godly efforts. Now, some speakers up here use uh, movies to make a point. I can't do that because I don't watch that many movies, and they scare me anyhow, and so I don't use those. But I'm going to use metaphors because that's what works better for me, and I'm not as smart as Ben. But here's a metaphor. See if you can go there with me in this one because metaphors communicate differently to different people. The empowering grace of God is like hockey skates on ice. Figure skates, hockey skates, whatever. Skates on ice. Right? That skate blade is designed for that slab of ice. That skate blade cannot work on tar, on asphalt, on dirt, on concrete, on rubber. No other surface will work. But when it gets on ice, it glides. It's in its zone. It's smooth. There's that grace empowering that blade, which is perfectly fine in and of itself, but it doesn't come to life until it's on a slab of ice. Catching the metaphor here? But here, I'll go one further than that. This is even great. There's this thing called, true story, imitation ice or fake ice, which is actually pretty trendy, and it's got a lot of advantages. They laid down, they lay down um, uh, tiles of synthetic ice, and they put them together, nearly seamless, and it's used for practice ice because it's a lot cheaper. There's no coils. There's nothing cold. It's easy to put down. It's easy to take up. It's easy to lay down anywhere. It's fake ice, and skates kind of work on it. So it works. It's okay, right? But here, listen to this. This is interesting. I mean, this is, this is true stuff. The fake ice has a disadvantage. It has at least three. I'll just list three of them. There's fatigue to the skater. I'm more fatigued when I try to skate on ice that isn't really ice. It's a fake ice. I can do it. Hopefully you're catching the metaphor. I can live life without abiding in the word, but it's more fatiguing to me because I don't have the grace. The empowering grace is not there. The second thing is it dulls the edge of the sharpened blade much better. It takes what, good, what is good, a sharpened blade, to go on ice, and it dulls it. It knocks it off. It's not as sharp. So when it gets on the real ice, it's not as effective because it's been dulled by the fake ice. And the third thing is there's much more resistance. There's much more resistance when I try to skate on the synthetic fake ice than when I try to skate on the real ice. It doesn't glide as smooth. And hopefully you're picking up from that, that we are designed for a relationship with God, but sin gets in the way. And so we try to skate on other surfaces. See, abiding in the word helps us find the ice and remain on that ice versus skating on other surfaces. So what are other surfaces? We can skate on money. As long as we have enough money, we're good. I'm a Christian, but I just need really need to focus on making a lot of money because then I'll be independent financially or accomplishments. I've got a lot of work I got to do. I'm a big guy. I got a lot of things to accomplish and I've got a lot of track record of accomplishments. Look at all I've done. That's where I hang my hat. That's where I get my power from my accomplishments. You know who I am? Or being a control freak. I'm just going to control everything. Not that that's a gender thing, but sometimes it is. I'll let you figure out which gender. So I'm going to control things. (laughs) Oh, he just got skewered. I'm going to control things. I'm used to it because I raise small children. I'm controlling them. So we sort of get in this habit of controlling. But we know we can't really aren't in control of anything. We're really not in control of anything. We do with relationships. I need lots of relationships around me. I'm sort of codependent. That's what gives me my life. As long as i got people in my life. Well, we need people. People are good. But is that my abiding? Or my kids. My kids are everything. My kids are my life. Well, Mm, You know, if I just replaced something good and made it kind of an idol to me, I don't know. Or addictions or whatever. There's all kinds of fake ice that I can skate on. But they don't really have the same effect of being where God wants me to be, on the sheet of ice that God wants me to be, operating in a condition that God wants me to be in. And abiding in the Word is what that brings us to. Abiding in the Word transforms us. It points us in the right direction. It gives us the direction to live life And then we glide on the ice. We live with the grace of God supporting our efforts. It works together. Let me give you an example of that. Just in fairness, I want to do a quick survey that he was not in the crowd. There's a man that I've met at the rec center. Grace of God. I just showed up every day. I've been at the rec center for decades. And I just showed up. Grace of God. I remind this guy of his brother who passed away. His brother was a godly man. This man is spiritually curious. I've been spending seven minutes a day with him for decades. That's all it is. From the time I park my car, to the time I go into the rec center, to the time I hit the water when I don't talk to anybody. I'm with this guy five days a week, seven minutes a day. He said, Tim, is it possible to ask God for too much? We're having these spiritual conversations seven minutes a day. This is not some deep Bible study. We've never cracked the word. We've never gotten down on our knees and prayed for salvation. I've just hung with a guy. But the grace of God has come along to support my efforts to being willing to have spiritual conversations with anyone. And the God has just sort of blended our hearts together. Who am I had to know that? I remind him of his brother who passed away. This guy's in his mid-70s. And his brother is very godly. And I remind him of his godly brother. I didn't know all that. I couldn't figure all that out. But I was simply skating on the slab of ice. You with me on this one? Skating on the slab of ice that God had put me. And God did the rest. I didn't do it. I just showed up. I'll be done in a minute. I'm cranking on this epic, but I'll be almost done. Romans twelve six, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of our faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows with mercy with cheerfulness. This is not an exhaustive list. This is saying, what is God calling you to do? What is the will of God for your life? What does he need you to do that I can't do? Y'all can't talk to the guy that I'm talking to. You don't have the seven minutes a day that I have with him. That's my job. But you got your job. And I'm going to go back to Eugene Peterson in the message. Let's read that one again. Same passage, Romans 12. I think he does a nice job unpacking it. Let's just go ahead and be what we are. Is that up there or no? Give us a message, it, bingo. Let's just go ahead and be what we we're made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. Getting on a different form of advice there. If you teach, stick to the teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get too bossy. That you love this. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate, just lead. If you're called to give and aid people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with a disadvantage, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. Find the grace of God to do what God wishes you to be done by you. I didn't say that right, but you know what I meant. There's no gift of spiritual consumer. We're not just a consumer of God's words and God's grace. No, that's not a gift. We're using it. We're on some slab of ice, and we're finding the grace of God to be in that slab of ice. We're all called to do something that God has a Christ shaped impact on the world. The same world that we're told not to be conformed to, but by abiding in the word, I'm transforming myself with the grace of God to transform the world one person at a time, to be salt and light. The church is God's plan to redeem the world. Are you aware of that? The church is God's plan to redeem the world. It starts with our transformation. God is more concerned about what goes on outside this building than what goes on inside the building. Now we know he cares about what goes on inside of the building, right? The table flipping incident, he cares about that. So he cares about the table, about the inside of the building. But I would suggest that he cares more about what goes on Monday through Saturday than what goes on Sunday Those are the days of the week that we are operating on the slab of ice that God has called us to and we're abiding for the purpose of being transformed and finding the grace of God. We read it in Matthew, right? Go into all the world. Go and make disciples. Go and abide. Always do those together. I hope my invitation was such that it'll make you want to abide more in the Word. That would make me excited. Why doesn't the worship team come forward? The rest of us can stand up And we'll pray together. Father God, thank you today for your power to transform lives. Whether it's death to life in terms of salvation. Or whether those of us who have walked with God for years, the opportunity to get stronger and sharper in what we do to impact the world. God, it is not just our skills and abilities, but it includes our skills, our abilities, our gifts, and your grace. God, give us the passionate desire to abide in your word. To be used by you. In Christ's name, amen.